Hi, welcome to the Fast Life with Diabetes podcast. My name is Lucy Fisher. On this podcast, we'll discuss everything related to intermittent fasting and type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We'll share tips and tricks, and we'll reveal some of the challenges that we've all faced as we go through this journey. We'll also have some fascinating guests that will share their stories. Thanks so much for joining. It's going to be a great show. Also, before we get started, I just want to remind you that I am not a doctor. Before beginning an intermittent fasting protocol or making changes to your medication, I highly recommend that you speak to your doctor. Today we have on a very interesting guest. Her name is Amber Kendrick, and she has used intermittent fasting and a keto diet to reverse her type 2 diabetes, cure her chronic kidney disease and her PCOS, And in the process, she's also managed to lose over 125 pounds. Her story is especially interesting because she's also gotten sober in the process, and she's applied some of the things that she has learned through her sobriety journey to intermittent fasting and overhauling her diet. It's a really good episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Amber. So happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Lucy. So before we get started, maybe you can just give me a quick overview of who you are, where you're from, that kind of thing. Yeah, thanks. So I'm 38 years old. I was born and raised in Western Michigan. I was, I got a bachelor's degree from Elma College in English, and I started um, my career in condominium management. And then my dad asked me to come work for my family business. And so I worked for him for a number of years, and then I wanted to buy the family business. He wasn't ready to retire. And I had a job offer for a lot more money. So I actually left the family business, moved to Omaha, Nebraska, and I ran a salvage yard in Omaha, Nebraska for two years. And then I moved to Loveland, Colorado, which is where I met my husband. I ran a salvage yard there for a little while and then became an independent consultant. And I traveled all over the country, going to different salvage yards, helping them maximize their profits. And then one day I got a call. My dad was ready ready to sell the business. So I came, came home, Andy and I, my husband and I bought a house in Holland, Michigan, and we moved back to Michigan and I bought um, the company my grandfather started, Pete's Auto Parts. And that's what I'm still doing today. Wow. What a great story. That's super interesting. Thanks. Yeah. So we found each other on a Facebook group, uh, a Dr. Fung Facebook group. So maybe you can just start sort of at the beginning because you've had quite a journey. Maybe you can take us back to, I think it was 2018 and, you know, what kind of brought you to where you are today? Yeah, I'll go back a little bit further because I grew up with like a really razor sharp awareness of my weight. My mom was heavy until she got out of college and then she lost all her weight and met my dad and started a family. And my dad was heavy, but my mom was always pretty like average sized when I was growing up and still is. But she was so nervous that I would be overweight and therefore unhappy. And so I grew up with kind of like this really hyper-focused attention to food, how much I was eating. Don't have a second helping of corn. Corn is what pigs eat. You know, you can't wear that shirt because your arms look fat in that shirt, that kind of thing. So I, I was pretty normal sized until I went to college, but with some really disordered eating issues already. You know, when I went to college, uh, a couple of things happened. One is that I suddenly had freedom. I had no one 
you know, looking over my, my shoulder at my plate. And so I could eat anything I wanted. And I was also sexually assaulted. And I think part of why I gained so much weight so fast was I was eating my feelings, you know, and I was, and I just packed on the pounds and I was, you know, probably in like a size 24 by the time I graduated from college, went into college as like a size 12 and came out as like a size 24. But I put on most of that weight in the first like year and a half, really. And then I went through, I dieted a couple times in my 20s successfully. Twice I lost over 100 pounds. Oh, no, that's not true. Once I lost 80 pounds, the other time I lost over 100 pounds through things like Nutrisystem, you know, and calorie counting and eating low fat. Like I was able to lose the weight, but I had to keep eating less and less and less, you know, Nutrisystem, the weight came off. And then once they stopped Nutrisystem, I gained it all back. When I dieted with like low fat, you know, calorie counting, I had to keep eating less and less and less. And I was working out so much. I was doing CrossFit. I was running. And I got to the point where I was eating like 1200 calories a day, working out two, sometimes three hours a day. And I was just miserable and my hair was falling out. And, and that's what I had to do to maintain. And I met my husband and when I was about a size 14, I would say, and I was suddenly so happy and having so much fun and we are going out to eat all the time, you know, and you know how this, these things go next thing, you know, I'm packing on the pounds again. And so, you know, I have, I've lost a significant amount of weight and then regained and then regained it multiple times. So, you know, I grew up in a drinking household as well. My parents were big drinkers and I was always a big drinker, but so was everyone else around me. You know, I thought that that was normal. You know, I was just partying, but that came with a lot of bad habits like hangover breakfasts and late night pizza and that kind of thing, you know? And after I bought the business from my dad, things, things didn't go super smooth (laughs) In any business there's ups and downs, but we had like a series of hard times. One thing was our neighbor parked a truck on our property and the truck caught on fire and it caught my building on fire and through like an insurance loophole, we didn't get that paid for. And that was a mess. And I ended up firing my dad and that was a mess, you know, and there was just so much stress. I was drinking more and more and more. And I went from being like a partier drinker to, you know, drinking to numb out my feelings, drinking to not have to think about it. And I'd get home from work and my husband would like have a glass of whiskey ready for me so I could drink until I passed out. And that certainly didn't help the weight problem that I was having, you know, and I would say, I'm going to, I'm going to lose weight. And I would go on a diet and it would work for a little while and it would stop working. And I would give up and I'd go right back to pizzas and pastries. So in 2018, it all really kind of came to a head and with my drinking, especially, and I realized that I had, I had a problem and I read a book by Annie Grace called this naked mind. And I quit drinking like cold turkey the day after 4th of July, actually the last drinks I had, I didn't even want, I was drinking like, you know, to be socially acceptable basically. And so I quit drinking cold turkey and I thought now the weight's going to fall off because now I don't have all these extra whiskey calories and now I don't have hangover breakfast and now I don't have late night order pizza, you know? And I lost like 30 pounds, you know, like pretty quickly after I quit drinking, but then I plateaued, you know, and I was a vegetarian at the time. I was a vegetarian for 17 years, actually. And I was very health conscious. I would go to the farmer's market, get a bunch of vegetables, roast up the vegetables, you know, 
and I was, I was calorie counting. And so I would, I would lower my calories. I'd lose some weight and then I plateau and I'd lower my calories and I'd lose weight and I plateau. And when you're plateaued at 336 pounds eating like 1600 calories a day, it gets pretty depressing because you're like, what am I going to have to do? How low am I not going to be able to eat anything at all? You know, which is kind of ironic because when you're fasting, you don't eat anything at all. That's right. But, good point. Yes. but when you eat, you get to eat, you know? So I, I finally, I made a doctor's appointment. I had to wait months for the doctor. And, and so I finally made a doctor's appointment and I went in and the, 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 it was a terrible experience. The doctor was just like, well, you should try eating 1300 calories a day instead of 1600. And I'm like pulling my hair out, you know, and, but the, the doctor did order some labs, you know, and that's what really changed everything is a few days after that, I got a phone call and they told me that I have, you know, chronic kidney disease stage three, and that I have diabetes and they said it super casually, you know, they were just like, yep, I got your blood report back and just wanted to let you know, you know, it looks like you've got type two diabetes and chronic kidney disease. And so you're going to need to come see the doctor. And I'm like, what? Like, this is not, I, I had no idea that I was a diabetic and I had no idea. I didn't even know what the difference between type one and type two was. And, you know, I'm just like Googling like mad trying to figure this stuff out, you know? So I go into the doctor and I had another really terrible dis- experience where the doctor told me all I needed to do was take some medicine and eat a Mediterranean diet because the Mediterranean diet was going to fix everything, whole grains, whole wheat bread, you know, vegetables, et cetera. And I was like, well, great news. I already eat a Mediterranean diet. I eat everything but the fish and chicken basically on a Mediterranean diet. I'm a health conscious vegetarian. I eat a lot of like sweet potatoes and quinoa and shit. I said, I got diabetes eating a Mediterranean diet. Like you got to give me something here. I need something else. And she was just like, well, it is what it is. You know, you're Diabetes is a progressive disease. It's going to get worse and worse. Your chances of death have now increased. And the likelihood is that you will die from something related to diabetes eventually because it's a you know progressive disease. And here's the statistics. And I left there just bawling my eyes out. But in some ways, it's good that the doctor wasn't a little bit more competent because if they had been just a little bit more competent, I may have followed their suggestions and not gotten to Googling, you know? which is what I did. I was like, I'm not going to accept this. You know, I accepted the medication at first. Um, what, you know, what they prescribed. Before you go any further, you, you, do you know what your A1C was at the time you went in there? Yeah, it was 6.5. Okay. Um, yeah, so you were just barely, you were, you had just surpassed pre-diabetic and then you actually entered yeah. into diabetic by like, not that much, but a, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Now what's really interesting is that after I found all this out and had done some research, I went back because I had knee surgery in 2016 and I had a few other you know, things where I was like, why didn't the doctors figure this out sooner? Well, they actually did pull an A1C for me in 2016 and they never told me. They were just making sure before my knee surgery that I wasn't, my blood sugar wasn't too high to do the surgery. So my A1C was actually 7.8 in 2016. Uh, which is the time when I was drinking really hard and eating a lot and no one ever told me they just they did blood work and said yep you're clear for surgery and I don't know if they assumed that I knew I was a diabetic but my A1C had actually come down in the in the two years since those tests probably because I had quit drinking I had been eating super healthy I had been exercising you know so some I was already making some progress I just didn't even know it you know 
but at the time of diagnosis, it was, it was 6.5 and they prescribed me metformin and they also prescribed me first Victoza and then Bidurion. But all of those medications made me so sick. Like they made me so sick. Metformin, it's very common for people to have like some upset stomach. And, you know, I did take it with food. I tried the extended release and the non-extended release, but I mean, I couldn't work. I couldn't function. That medication, I don't know what it is about my body chemistry and metformin, but it wiped me out. I could not take it. And same thing with both the Victose and the Viderion. It was like, I gave myself those shots and I just felt, I, I puked and puked and puked and couldn't stop. It was like, every time I tried, it, it was just a no-go. And I was like, well, this isn't going to work. Like, I can't take the medication they're prescribing. You know, what am I going to do? So I started Googling and I first found Dr. Bernstein. And I read The Diabetes Solution by Dr. Bernstein. And that changed my life big time. And I went to my doctor's office armed with a bunch of information. I was going to teach them, you know, all about diabetes. Uh, but I also begged for a, a continuous glucose monitor. And when um, they didn't want to prescribe one because I wasn't sick enough, I, I looked for a new endocrinologist. And I found a new endocrinologist and got that one, agreed to get me the, the CGM. I got a Freestyle Libre. And I started eating to my meter. So, you know, testing at first bite in an hour and in two hours. And with a CGM, it makes it super easy. I could, I could test a lot more frequently than that. I could see in real time why my blood sugar was going up. And so then I was able to just customize my meals to things that kept me level instead of things that went, you know, made me go up and down. And, um, you know, at that time as well, I was getting onto the Facebook pages and I found Dr. Fung and I started reading the obesity code. And I wept several times in the obesity code because it was like, he knew me and told my story that, you know, I'd try so hard to lose weight and by all the numbers, I should have been losing weight and I just couldn't lose weight, you know? And I have my, my best friend is thin and has never been anything but thin, you know? And I actually got into a giant fight with her one time because I, she basically thought I was like eating Oreos in secret, you know, because why wouldn't I be losing weight by now, you know, but. Yeah, that's the beauty of his book is he really details exactly what happens in obese body and the insulin response. And uh, yeah, that it's such a, both books, Obesity Code and the Diabetes Code are such good books for, to learn and why your body acts the way it acts. Yeah, for sure. It explains things and it just like made sense of what was so incomprehensible in my personal experience. You know, why, why at 330 pounds eating 1600 calories a day, wasn't I losing weight? You know, if it's calories in calories out, it makes no sense. But you know, when you, when you factor hormones into the equation, everything changes. And when my blood was full of sugar, there was no way I was going to lose weight. But as soon as I, so I started out just by cutting carbs, you know, and eating to my meter. And as soon as I did that, the weight just started to fall off of me and my A1C started to fall. And within three months, my A1C was down to 5.5. And before you I, started fasting. Yes. Before. Okay. Well, well, I, I did start fasting in that three months because it was like the first six weeks of eating strict, clean keto. I did not fast. I did not even try. I, I, you know, what I was actually, what I was doing was I was having like uh, breakfast, mid-morning snack, lunch, afternoon snack, dinner, evening snack for the first weeks of keto. And I was so hungry all the time. I was so hungry. 
I was voraciously hungry. And if I could go back in time, the only thing I would have done differently is I would like eaten more of the good foods that didn't raise my blood sugar because I was from this diet mentality where I had to restrict, 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 you know, but my body was just uh, trying to adapt and get, you know, get into ketosis and then get fat adapted, you know? And so I was hungry all the time until one day I woke up and it was like immediate. It was just one day out of the blue, I woke up and I was like, well, that's weird. I'm not hungry, you know? And I'd waited to eat breakfast. And I finally, I got hungry at like 11 AM. And I was like, this is a new me. I I've never, I've never not been hungry until 11 AM. You know, I was used to eat breakfast at like six o'clock in the morning. And so the, the eliminating snacks during the day happened really easily. As soon as my body was fat adapted, it was super easy for me to eat three meals a day or two meals a day. But evening snacking was harder to cut out. I really enjoyed having a snack at night and I would get hungry after dinner time. I really want to snack. And so I made a rule for myself and the, the first at first that I could have a, I would have to fast for 16 hours every night when I first started fasting. But three days a week, I could have an evening snack and like not count it against my fasting. And I try to save those for the weekend, you know, try to save them for like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, when I was having fun, but sometimes I'd cave and I'd have a snack on Tuesday. Well, now I only have two left this week. As soon as it got easy to, to save those for the weekends, I cut it down to two snacks a week. And then as soon as that got easy, one snack a week and usually Saturday night. But by doing that, I really built up the willpower and the habits and the, you know, hey, do I want to do it today or do I want to save it for later? Well, I use that to this day all the time now, you know, but I couldn't, I don't think I could have gone from zero to like to, to always snacking to no snacking at night because I just, I would have felt like a failure all the time caving and I didn't want to feel like a failure, you know? So those little tricks and rules helped me a lot. I love that part of your story because, you know, especially when you're a part of some of these groups, everybody's talking about like, oh, I did a 10 day fast and I did this and that, you know, like you just feel like, how are these people doing it? But then if you decide just like you did and sort of like how I did more methodical, like I'm going to take this snack away, that snack away, then I'll eliminate this meal, but you do it gradually over time. And then your body, as it's becoming more and more fat adapted, it's just, it's so much easier to do it. So I love how you were. Yeah. You have like a real world approach to, to doing this kind of thing. Well, one thing I've really learned the hard way is that fasting should be easy. And if it's hard, I probably have a problem. And I found that a lot with like alternate day fasting. I, everyone on, on the Facebook groups was talking about alternate day fasting. I had been doing, I did 16, eight, I did 18, six. And I started throwing in one longer fast a week on Wednesdays. And I just see how long I could make it. And then every week I tried to like beat the, the week before. And so first it was, I got, when I got to 24 hours, I thought I was just, you know, amazing. And then 25, next thing I know, it's like a 72 hour fast and I want to eat on the weekends. So now I'm going to do, you know, start it on Tuesdays and do every other week, you know, and I built up that fasting muscle slowly, but everyone kept talking about ADF, you know, alternate day fasting and how it was amazing how much weight they were losing, you know? So I was like, I got to try, I got to try this ADF stuff, you know, and I dropped a, a lot of the weight by then, but I was still, you know, I believe that was when I was like 250 pounds, maybe I'd have to go back and look at my records, but I was like, I got to try this alternate day fasting. And it, it was so hard for me 
And I really beat myself up for failing at alternate day fasting, what seemed like over and over and over again. So finally I was like, you know what? I got it. I got to switch this up. I got to do something different. I, I can't just jump into ADF. It's so hard. So I first I did like two 30 hour fasts a week and then two 36 hour fasts a week and then two 42 hour fasts a week and then three 30 hour fasts and then three 36 and then three 42. Finally, I like I worked myself into it and that went so much better for me personally. And I'm not sure if it's mental or physical or both, but uh, then I would do like six to eight weeks of the traditional, you know, three 42 hour fasts a week. And it would start to get really hard and I would start to get run down and I'd start feeling and I'd start resenting the fasting. I'd start thinking things like, you know, other people can just lose weight and I have to starve myself, you know, a poor Amber, you know, poor Amber. So I would take breaks and I would take like two weeks where I would just eat every day, like 16, eight refuel. And then I'd start back from the beginning and like one fast a week and then two fast a week, and then two again and then two again and then three and build my way back up and do a few weeks but I have definitely made the mistake of over fasting in my journey and what I found is that it never does me good in the long run because when I fast too much and I don't eat enough when I do start eating I gain a bunch of weight back and my body is so hungry all I can think about is food and I have to restrict 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 Whereas when I balance the fasting and feasting in a healthy way, when I, when I am fasting for a while and then I eat again, I don't gain the weight back. I'm not a voracious, you know, hungry monster. You know, I feel normal instead of feeling like depleted and I keep my hair, which is always a great thing. <laughs> that is a good thing. When you do it, when you did ADF or I don't, you, you, it sounds like you still work it into your routine a little bit. Do you do the 500 calorie down day at all? Or do you just try to fast through now? I've done both. I was always a zero calorie ADFer, mostly because when I start eating, I don't want to stop, you know? And so it, it seemed to me like it would be easier to do zero calorie than, than to do the 500 calories. And I'm a big stickler on clean fasting. You know, I'm like, I'm not the fasting police that's going to like, you know, judge you or anything. You do, you do you, you do whatever you want to do. And when I first started fasting, I drank a lot of LaCroix while I was fasting, flavored LaCroix, and that helped me a ton. And now I don't drink it because I enjoy plain sparkling water while I'm fasting. And I just feel like I'm working too hard to let like a tiny bit of flavor in LaCroix to stop my progress. Who knows if it did or not? I have no idea. But I'm just, for my body, I like to do clean fast. So I would do zero calories, zero anything but water on my down days for ADF. Well, then COVID hit. And then I had to kind of throw my strict rules out the window because I was working from home and I was right next to the kitchen and, you know, my husband's making food. And I, one of the things that I've done pretty successfully in my fasting career is I've used work as a crutch in my fasting. Like if I'm busy at work, I have no problem not eating, but when I'm home, I want to eat. So I usually plan it. So I get to eat the most on weekends. Like even when I'm doing like 24 or 18, six, I'll plan it so I eat less during the week and then I eat way more on the weekend because that's when, I, I, when I'm sitting at home bored and I want to eat and I want to enjoy it and I have time to cook delicious meals, whereas during the week I have a lot less time. So when COVID hit and I was working from home, I kept not sticking to my ADF schedule. And at that point I was really, I was plateaued and I really wanted to break the plateau. I had a plateau at 
220 pounds that lasted like eight or nine months. And I was like desperate to break it. I kept trying different things. I do an extended fast, gain it all back immediately afterwards. I do ADF, couldn't seem to lose. And I tried calorie confusion, tried different times. They tried all these things. I just could not seem to lose the weight. And it was driving me insane. And then with COVID, I, I felt like I couldn't succeed in my fasting. And so I switched to the modified, you know, 500 calorie down days. And it worked really well for me while I was working from home because I got to eat. I'd eat a lot of like tuna salad, like high protein, low fat for my for my 500 calories. But I've done I've done it both ways. And I had the most amount of success with ADF when I had the most amount of weight to lose. Nowadays, it seems like when I do ADF, I, I don't lose. I maintain on ADF personally. But yeah, a lot I think of people, I'm kind of the same. A lot of people yeah. lose. Yeah. So you, so just so we have a baseline. So how, how tall are you thereabouts? Five, nine. I used you're, to be five, 10, tall. but I, sh- I shrunk an inch. I actually used to be five, 10. <laughs> I, better not, but... I better not shrink an inch. I'm only four, 11. Oh, <laughs> I don't have anywhere to, to go down. So five, five, nine from five, 10. Mm-hmm. And then your starting weight was three. You know, I don't really know. Cause I was heaviest before I went to the doctor and before I was able to weigh myself because I didn't have a scale that went up that high, but I, the, the weight I was, um, the, the way I'm 100% sure of at the doctors was 336 in May of 2019, several months before that, or I guess in 2018, I had a weight that was like 366 or 363 right around there you know, and I had been heavier and had lost weight with some, you know, calorie counting, but, but my starting weight before I cut the carbs was 336. And I had lost, it took me probably seven months to lose the 30 pounds before that. And then in the next seven months, I dropped like a hundred pounds, you know, yeah, the weight just falls off when you're doing intermittent fasting and you have your diet pretty dialed in. So you lost all that weight. Then you hit a plateau. You said around 220 ish. And then you used ADF and a couple other ways to kind of break through that plateau. And then I know you don't weigh anymore, but what? Well, I actually have been weighing this month, but I did throw my, I, I, I had my husband hide my scale from me a while back, but I got it out for the month of January only. And then I'm going to put it back away again, only because I'm doing an extended fast. And I think it's kind of fascinating. So I got down to my previous lowest weight in February of 2000. 21 before I went on vacation. I had, I went, I broke the plateau, went down, went from 220 down to 186. And 186 was the lowest weight I ever saw on a scale. And it was the day before my um, vacation in Puerto Rico. And I went and wore a bikini in Puerto Rico and had an absolute blast and had a wonderful vacation, felt so confident in my skin. And when I get, got back from that trip, which was a two week trip, I weighed 209 pounds (laughs) and I had not, I truly had not like feasted a lot in Puerto Rico. I was careful. I ate more than I would have at home and I didn't have a food scale, but I was still eating 16, eight on vacation. And my hope was to maintain or to just gain a few pounds, you know, and I really ballooned up. And I think part of that, again, is the overfasting. I was trying so hard to get down to this low weight for my vacation that I went overboard on my fasting. And then as soon as I gave my body nutrients, it was like packing it all on to protect you from starvation, you know? And the whole beauty of fasting is that 
it shouldn't happen. But if we over, I think if you overdo anything, then your body is smart enough, you know, it's going to figure, figure it out. So basically for the last year or for the last 11 months, I suppose, 10 months, I have bounced between like that 209 and like 195 and I've lost some weight and then I've put it back on. I've lost some weight, I put it back on. And one thing I'll say about my plateau that, that was at 220, my previous, my first plateau that was at 220 is that after the plateau, you know, I got a whole new perspective on it. And what happened, it was only like a week after I started losing weight again. And when I started losing weight again, I wasn't doing anything different. I was doing the same, you know, a lot of the same things I was doing before, but suddenly the pounds started falling off and I was in a yoga class. And because of the pandemic, I hadn't been in an in-person yoga class. I'd been doing it on zoom. I went to an in-person yoga class and we did shoulder stands and I had not done a shoulder stand in ages because they don't really cue for that when you're uh, over a computer, you know, they cue for it when they can come around and help you. And I'm looking at my legs and I'm like, I cannot believe how good my legs look. Why do my legs look so good? And I went back and looked at pictures. And although I lost no weight at my plateau at 220, my skin tightened up so much. I used to have a roll over my knee. Like I used to have like a fold over my knee and way more like cellulite and excess skin and stuff on my legs. And during that plateau, like I may not have been losing weight, but my body, I was still fasting and my body was still healing. It just wasn't doing what I wanted it to do, which was shed fat, you know, it was, but it was doing good work. And my legs, I think, you know, for all the weight I've lost look really great. And they didn't before that plateau. So my body was smart enough to know it needed to do that. Yeah, that's incredible. And you bring up a really important point. Sometimes our bodies stay stuck at a certain level, not because it's not working, but it's working on something else other than your weight. And you've been able to reverse your type two diabetes. You had chronic kidney disease, you had PCOS. So maybe you can tell me kind of when those things started to get better for you, how far along into your journey. Yeah, it was really fast. You know, in three months, my A1C was 5.5. In nine months, it was 5.3. By June of 2020, it dropped down to 5.0 and it stayed there you know, for a long time. Then I had, I did have COVID in November of 2020 and it went back up to 5.4. And now it's been hovering around 5.3 since then. And I, that drives me crazy because I really want to be in that 4.2 to 4.8 range, but I'll get back to that. The other thing is the chronic kidney disease. So I was in stage three chronic kidney disease in April and they referred me to a specialist, but they couldn't get me into the specialist until August. By the time I went to the specialist, I had no signs of chronic kidney disease. I had a couple of labs that were a little high, but were not in like the danger range. I was, I was basically like, they said you, you might be stage one, like now that we know that you were in stage three, but like you might be okay. And it was like basically four months. It was like from April, end of April to the end of July, you know? or was it end of August? It was the end of August. So it was four months of eating strict, clean keto, three months of fasting. And I went from stage three chronic kidney disease to maybe you got a couple of labs that have issues. And then by the next set of labs I did in December of 2019, all my numbers were perfect. Can you, can you educate me on chronic kidney disease a little bit? Cause it's not something that I'm super familiar with. So is 
so when you get diagnosed at stage three, are there other stages before that, or is that the earlier stage? I don't know how, if it, they, what order they go in. Yeah, no. So stage one is like the most mild, and um, like so, there's there is there are stages beyond it. I'm not sure. You know, I don't know that much about it because I resolved it so fast. I've done so much research on diabetes and not that much research on chronic kidney disease. Other than you know, I know that that like stage three meant that like it was, it was, it was really affecting my kidneys, which would affect the rest of my life. And like, this is the time to turn around. Dialysis doesn't start until I think you're in stage five, but, or maybe it's stage four, but in any case, stage one is basically you got high labs state, like stage two, we got a bigger problem in stage. Three. Yeah. So I would have to so do more serious. research on it. Yeah, it was, it was it was a serious situation. And then yeah. PCOS, you had you had that before or Yeah, no, so I didn't know I did. I have a feeling I had PCOS for a long time because I had, you know, symptoms of it. I just didn't know what it was or nobody had ever told me um about it, but I did have I had lots of problems with my period and it's surprising to me that no doctor ever said PCOS because from when I was 18 on I had major, major problems with my cycles where I would have cycles for months on end and they'd have to medically stop it times where I didn't have a cycle. I also had, I had a DNC, a dilation and cutation to remove cysts from my uterus. And I, you know, I had all kinds of, I had chin hair. I had a lot of the symptoms of it and I had a lot of problems with it. And I was at an OBGYN a lot. I've been on almost every kind of birth control that you can, that you've heard of trying to regulate it. And it was never, never working, you know? And then I got completely off of birth control January of 2020. And I have had normal cycles for the first time in my adult life since about June of 2020. So it's been, you know, over, over a year over a year and a half of normal cycles and cycles that last like four or five days and are reasonable versus like super painful, put you in bed and, you know, major, major issues, you know, for eight days cycles, which has just been a huge blessing. Wow. So all those things resolve fairly quickly. Did you ever take, now you said the metformin and the other medications you were on for diabetes kind of made you sick. Did you just take them for like a week or two and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to use diet and get, get better. Or how, how did you do exactly. that? Exactly. Yeah. I was, I only took the metformin for like four days and I took three shots of Victoza and one of Vidurion is all. And, and I was just like, I'm not, I can't deal. Were your doctors just amazed at how fast you were able to get things under control? They must've been. Yeah. Yeah. Although it's funny. Cause like my doctors like, like to tell me I'm a fluke. And they like to tell me like, this might work for you now, but it may not work for you later. And it might work for you, but it's not necessarily going to work for anyone else, you know, and all this stuff, which is, it's funny, but. So tell me, um, are you, are you still using a CGM or do you just do, I see uh, one thing I want to tell listeners about, and I'm going to put a couple in the show notes is you have these amazing spreadsheets where you track everything from, you know, the time, the amount of time you slept to your morning blood sugars, to what you ate, including pictures and activities you did. I mean, I have never seen something like this in my entire life. So I'm going to post those. But since I know you are so data oriented, have you been keeping, do you just do finger sticks now or do you still have your CGM? Yeah, I do the finger sticks. And you know, what happened was I started the spreadsheet to track my blood sugar 
And then I added the meals because it seemed like that was what was really changing my blood sugar, you know? And I just added more and more as I went along, you know, finding like what I wanted to track in my health. And so the the beginning spreadsheets, you know, are a lot more simple. And now it seems it's probably a little overwhelming for someone to think about doing this themselves, but it's really just become part of my daily habit. And I used the CGM for like nine months and it was, it was instrumental in lowering my blood sugar. It was awesome. One thing I learned is that I was spiking my own blood sugar levels by getting stressed out. If I was late for work in the morning and I'm rushing around trying to, you know, pack my food and get my dress and blah, 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 my levels would shoot up from the, from the stress, you know, not even from activity, but from stress. And then I learned that meditation can lower your blood sugar. And so I started, I started meditating and that's something I'm really committed to. I meditate every single day. But what I learned was that if I stayed calm, I could control my blood sugar. And I never would have known that without the continuous blood sugar monitor. You know, I would be in traffic in a traffic jam getting mad and my, I, I'd check my blood sugar and it'd be going up and up and up. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm not allowed to get mad anymore. I have to, I have to learn how to deal with my life because I, I can't spike my blood sugar. And you know what happens when you decide, you know what? I'm not going to get upset about this traffic. It's not worth my health. You also live a better life because you're not running around mad or worked up all the time, you know? Uh, but yeah, the, the CGM was super useful for a time, but what ended up happening was the more normal my blood sugar got, then the less useful it was. And the more it would show lows when there weren't lows, because the Freestyle Libre, it airs on the side of caution. It's made for people with high blood sugar who have diabetes, right? It's not really made for people with normal blood sugar. So when I had an A1C of 5.0, my blood sugars were in a pretty normal range most of the time. It was showing, it was tracking me like 20 points lower than the finger sticks. It was always showing me going low. And it's like, ah, why do I even have this anymore? You know, when I know, now I know my body, I know what foods do to it. I know what stress does to it. So now I take a fasting blood sugar every single morning. Anytime I go to a restaurant, I, I eat to my meter. And I, so I take my levels at first bite in an hour and two hours. And that's mostly so I know if I want to return to that restaurant and eat the same food again or not. Because if the, if I, if I go eat a steak somewhere and I spike, I know they had something on the grill that was not good for me because I'm, you know, I'm very careful about what I choose. And I always tell the waiters or waitresses or the servers, I should say, I tell, always tell the servers, like, I, I just, I can't have any flour. I can't have any sugar. I got to have everything like really plain. I'm sorry to be a pain in the ass. I am a good tipper, even though I'm a pain. And then they usually take really good care of me. But, you know, if I, if I can stay low eating that meal, then I know I can go back to that restaurant safely and eat that meal again and I'll be good. You know, so I test every time I go to a restaurant, if I have any like new food, I don't normally have new foods anymore, but occasionally I'll have a new food and then I, t- I eat to my meter or if I don't feel right, you know, I take my, my kit when I'm hiking and if I don't feel right, I'll take my blood sugar and see, maybe I'm dehydrated and it spiked me, you know, and part of that's for my peace of mind because I used to spike really easily off things. So like I went hiking in Colorado and I ended up spiking into like the 170 range and I was just miserable. Well, then for a while after that, I was paranoid. Every time I went hiking, if I started to feel off at all, I'd be like, oh no, I've shot my blood sugar up. And I check, I'd be, oh, I'm fine. I'm, in, I'm 91, you know? And so then it's peace of mind. Sometimes 
those activities do raise blood sugars. It just depends. Like it happens to me all the time. Like if I'm, mm-hmm. you know, riding a spin bike or something, it'll raise my blood sugar. If I'm outside walking, my blood sugar will usually go low. Like it's, it just totally depends on like the activity you're doing. And the point about the restaurants is a good one. Cause a lot of times, especially if you eat, even if you just get a simple salad, you have no idea what's in the dressing. Even if it's just supposed to be like, unless you actually see the oil and the vinegar on the table and you mix it yourself, like there's always some little sugar in there or something like it's, and plus when you're at a restaurant, the portions are so large and you get that fat rise later. So it's, yeah, eating out is difficult, you know? It is. I always, I always get my salads with no dressings and then I pack my own and I bought some fancy flavored olive oils from like a specialty store in town. And I have like this, I have like a little bottle that I'll pour whatever oil I want, you know, into the bottle. And it's like a dropper. It looks like an eyedropper or whatever. And so then I squeeze, I I just dress my own salad in my fancy olive oil. And then I know exactly what's in it, but you're right. A lot of times you don't know. And I'm, I'm pretty strict on what I won't eat. I have a list of foods I will eat and I stick to that list and having the, having it in the positive is good for me. Cause then you don't look at a list of foods you can't have. You look at a list of foods you can, you know, so that helps a lot. Yeah. And I saw you try to keep your carbs to like 12 carbs a day or something like that. Something very, very low, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, I've been really aggressive about that, especially because I'm trying to get the A1C down. And that's why I'm currently on the longest extensive extended fast of my life by a ways in attempts to heal my body of the diabetes and drop that A1C. Uh, because ever since I had COVID, it's just been, it's been a little higher, you know, it's been 5.2, 5.3 every time. And I'd really like to get down into the fours. And so, and I haven't done an extended fast in a long time. I've really been eating a lot of like 24 or, you know, 18, six. And I felt like I was ready. And at this fast, I felt better than any other fast in my life. I feel like a million bucks. And I think it's because I was so well fed before and my body was so ready for it, you know? But yeah, when I eat for a long time, I did 20 total grams of carbs a day. Then for a long time, I did 10 total grams of carbs a day. A lot of times now it'll 10 will creep up to 12, you know, but I, yeah, the, it seems like the lower I keep my carbs, the better my blood sugar does. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And do you, I assume you don't really have issues with low blood sugars or do you? No, I never do. And I do get down into the sixties, you know, extended fasting, but I never have any like symptoms or side effects. I've never seen a a five on that meter. I always see a six isn't up. Uh, I did when I first started, when I first started fasting and first started low carb, there were times when I went low and I had to eat to bring it back up. Even though I didn't really want to eat, I had to break the fast to bring it back up. And then I would have, usually I'd have hard boiled eggs because that's got protein. You know, a lot of people, when they see a low, they jump to like something sugary, but that shoots you up and then brings you right back down. So I'd go for like hard boiled eggs or or something that would slowly raise me, raise me up, you know, but that's another thing I see a lot on these Facebook groups. And I don't, I'm not trying to judge anybody, but I see a lot of people who do fast and then they, they like cave or they break their fast for something and they jump right back into a fast. And I'm always just like, Oh, honey, you are going to regret this in six months because I was there, you know, I did it. I over fasted. And then what happened? My body was just desperate to pack the pounds back on you know, and I feel like it's, I'm, I'm so better equipped to lose the weight when I'm coming from a fed state, when I take time between my fasts, when I, you know, they the experts say refeed for half the time you fasted before you fast again, 
for my body personally, I have to do the whole time. If I do a five day fast, I have to eat at least five days of 16, eight before I'm going to attempt to fast again. You know, I, I love that about you is that you're just, you really listen to your body. You're not trying to abide by some rules that somebody has laid out. You just listen to your body and you do it that way and you do what's best for you. And you have, and that's when you see the results. It's when you try to follow everybody else's rules, that's where you get sidetracked. Yeah. Seems. So yeah. I want to pivot to something else. I really want to speak about your journey with sobriety because I know you said that oh, helps yeah. you a lot. So like I said, my drinking really spiraled, spiraled out of control in 2018. I read this book by Annie Grace, This Naked Mind, and I just quit completely, cold turkey. And so I was sober, you know, and right away, my life got better because I wasn't hung over all the time. And, you know, I had more energy, like a lot of things got better right away. But, you know, I was still a ball of anxiety. And I was still like, I had all these feelings that I used to drink to crush down. And now I had to use other things to numb those feelings and crush those feelings. And one thing is I was smoking a lot of weed. And so although I was sober from alcohol, I was smoking a lot of weed and that's difficult with fasting because you get the munchies, right? But I, I was telling myself, you know, it's way better than drinking, you know, and it, and it is in a lot of ways, you know, but I started going, I, even before I quit drinking, actually, I used to go to lunch with my grandpa once a week. I'd go over to his house and have lunch with him. And he was in AA for 33 years. He was 33 years sober. I knew he was sober. So once I quit drinking, I told him I quit drinking and he was super proud of me. And he would have all these, we'd have lunch and he'd have all these wise one-liners, you know? And I just loved all of his little one-liners. I had no idea they came from AA. And I was so stubborn. I thought I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody else. I can, I can be sober on my own, you know? So then and the, the weed thing got out of control. I got to the point where like, I was, I was really using that in a bad way. And I just I had to quit weed too. And so then all of a sudden I'm totally sober. I'm super raw and, but I'm so stubborn. I don't want any help. And so finally my grandpa had his keys taken away from him because he had dementia and he could no longer drive himself to AA meetings. He used to go six days a week. Suddenly he's like getting a ride there one or two days a week and he can't go as often as he wants to. So I said to him one day when we were having lunch, you know, if you want, I could bring you to AA next week, you know, instead of doing our regular lunch. And I thought to myself, oh, Amber, you are such a good person taking your grandpa to AA. This is for him. This isn't for you. You know, and I had just imagined AA to be like a, a bunch of old men sitting around talking about Jesus. And so I brought him there just thinking it was just for him. And what I found was like a really incredible community that was so perfect for me and had the answer to my problems, you know, and had tools that I could use in my life. And I, I was like, oh, I've, I'd quit drinking for a year at that point. I had a one, my very first meeting, they did a first step meeting and then they handed me my one year sobriety chip because I had, I had quit drinking over a year ago, you know, but it was just amazing. It was nothing like what I expected. And now like my best friends in the world are from AA, but I have definitely used the tools of AA in my, in my fasting journey, like, you know, one day at a time. And this too shall pass. It's never all good. It's never all bad. And all these like little one-liners, they pound into your head. And, you know, at one point, if I thought if somebody told me to take it easy one more time, I was going to choke them because they just keep saying the same stupid things over and over again. But then eventually those things like become part of your soul, you know? And one of the biggest things for me is just living in the present. I was always so 
um, distraught over the past or worried about the future. And it AA really taught me to stay in the present. And that's what I do when I'm fasting now is that I don't worry about how long I'm going to be fasting. I don't worry about how long I have fasted. How, how am I doing right now? Am I okay? And fundamentally is all well right now. And yes, absolutely. You know, I'm on day 19 of my extended fast and I feel like a million bucks right now. And I'm hoping to make it to, to 30 days total. But, you know, if, if I have to break my fast, that's no problem. I will, if my body says do it, I will do it immediately. And I've got the bone broth ready for that so that I won't be an emergency situation. But right now I feel great and I can use that the tools of the program really to help to help me a ton in my in my fasting journey. I love that. Yeah, I think AA has a lot of really positive messages within it. And it it absolutely applies to fasting or anytime you're trying to change your lifestyle, whether it's, you know, you also made huge changes to your diet, you know, it's just anytime you're totally overhauling your life in some way, it's not easy. You have to go through the steps in order to do it. So I, sure. I, pre- I appreciate that message. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's some things like you don't have to do it for the rest of your life. It's just for today. Like I can get depressed that I can't have a donut, but it's not like I have to worry about the rest of my life. I just have to worry about not having that donut today. You know, there actually, I don't really even consider donuts anymore because I've, I've broken up with donuts forever. I'm never going to eat another donut again. And that doesn't bother me today, but I did have to go through some grieving, you know, to, to come to that. And Marie Kondo, I read her book and I watched her television show and she taught me how to say goodbye to like old memorabilia and stuff. And I did that with foods, you know, like it was really depressing to me to think I'll never drink orange juice again because orange juice spikes your blood sugar, you know? So I talked to orange juice out loud, you know, I love you, orange juice. You're amazing. I remember when I had you fresh squeezed in Florida. I remember when you helped me through hangovers, you know, I remember the amazing taste. You're fantastic. I love you, orange juice, but unfortunately my body has changed. And now if I drink you, you'll hurt me. You're like poison to me. So I'm, I'm so sorry to do this to you, Orange Juice, but you and I have to break up. You know, I wish you nothing but the best. And, and now I, like, I've just, I just closed the door on that. And now my husband has Orange Juice in the fridge right now. That's not even food to me. That's rat poison to me. You know, when I, I used to envision his jug of milk as a, as a uh, jug of Clorox in the fridge, you know, or he'd be eating nutty bars next to me in bed. And I'd pretend like the smell of chocolate peanut butter that's what, that's what poison smells like, you know, to try to just like program my brain, you know, and it's really worked. I don't, I don't miss that stuff. Now I do still struggle with things like pecans. I love pecans. I can eat pecans without spiking my blood sugar, but I tend to gain weight when I eat pecans. Uh, And I'll, I'll like measure them out in little baggies and date them. And like, this is how many pecans you get tomorrow. And this is how many you get the next day. And then, you know, it's just like, it's like one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And I still struggle with that. I'm not perfect, but the foods that truly hurt my body are easy for me to not eat. So that's, yeah, I think that's really important. I, I think I went through some of that too. It's gotten easier over time, but definitely in the beginning, you really miss a lot of those foods. And I love that you broke up with foods and you had conversations with them. I'm going to do that too, because I think that's great. Before we come up on time, I just want to know from you if there's anything that you, any tips you would give to people that are starting to fast, or maybe somebody is in your situation where they just got diagnosed with pre-diabetes or type two diabetes or something like what, what would you recommend to them if they're, they're looking to get their health back on track? Yeah, I think that reading Dr. Bernstein's book was one of the big, with the big things, and it is available on tape and such, if you don't like to read. 
Another thing would be, you know, to go easy on yourself. I had to learn how to be my own best friend. I used to talk really, really negatively to myself and that never helped me with anything, you know, and I had to start saying, I'm not going to say anything to myself that I wouldn't say to my, my baby sister. And that's what, how I would try to think of it. Anytime I, my, I start to tell myself, you know, how bad I am or, you know, what's wrong with me or anything like that. Would I say that out loud to my little sister? No, there's no way. And so then, you know, I say, you know, I wrap my arms around myself and say, there's a reason well, you're like this, Amber, and it's not your fault, but now it's your responsibility to change going forward. And I had to learn that I'm not my thoughts. I'm not the voice in my head. I'm the voice that responds to the voice in my head because the voice in my head comes from our society and advertisements and our parents and our friends and all these things. They, they're what puts the, the voice in our head, but we get to choose how to respond to that voice in, my, in their head. And that, that helped me a lot, you know, and I just want to give people hope because there is a big, beautiful life out there after diabetes that you don't have, like, I get to eat delicious food. I really love and really relish it. And I thought every time I've ever dieted, I had to restrict, restrict, restrict. And I had to be hungry and miserable in order to get what I wanted. And I still didn't even really get what I wanted. I got close and then I'd rebound with this way of life between keto and intermittent fasting. Like I really, I don't feel like I'm lacking anything. I love what I eat. I really enjoy it. I feel good. And, and I'm able to be active. At one point I had knee surgery in 2016. I was so, and I was so heavy that, that like the physical therapy was making my knee worse and not better. I had knee pain for years. I used to have to sit in the handicap section at concerts because I couldn't stand. Even if like we went to the grocery store and there was a line I would have terrible, terrible knee pain afterwards just from being in the line at the grocery store, you know, and my knee would swell up. And today I get to dance the night away at concerts and not have to worry about any of that. I have almost no knee pain. And, and that life is out there for anybody that wants it, that's, that's willing to, you know, to embrace this. That's such a good message. And I really wish you would write a book. Anyway, I've already told you this, but for everybody who's listening, I am going to post those Google spreadsheets and you can kind of see Amber's progression from start till pretty much today. I mean, and you have pictures of your food, which looks delicious. So I definitely believe you when you say that you don't feel deprived and that you feel happy with what you've been doing. So yeah, thank you. Thanks thank so you. much. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your story. And I'm hoping that maybe in six or nine months or something, we can have you back and you can give us any updates on your progress. Cause I do believe that you will get down into whatever four range you want to get to with your A1C. I've, you have such determination that it's just a matter of time before you get there. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I'm pretty happy. I'm the lowest weight I've ever been in my adult life now. Although the scale is not everything, you know, I do, I do DEXA scans as well. I think that measurements and DEXA scans are a lot better indication of progress, but it's still really fun to see a lower number on the scale, you know? So thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Amber. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest, please email me at fastlifewithdiabetes at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.